there. Welcome to Tech Talk Weekly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is our weekly show where we hit you with two to three interesting tech stories, something fun from the library, and get you on your way in 15 to 20 minutes every day, every week. Uh, Creation Station at Broward.org comes right to us if you have any story ideas. Today, my guest is Miss Haley from North Cluster Libraries because Haley does a way more than just one library. How are you doing, Miss Haley? I'm great. Uh, it's uh, countdown to my vacation, so I'm especially excellent, here. excellent, excellent. You're going away for the holiday, or are you going to just stay home? Uh, and no, I'm be going safe? doing a staycation. Good. But uh, just a time away from work is always yeah. It's it's a very good thing. Nice, good yeah. work balance is is desperate for everybody, right? How many libraries yeah. are you doing now up there for programming? Uh, normally twelve, which includes two regionals. But because of our situation down south, I've got 14 at the moment. Yeah. And yeah, for anybody that that's 14 different libraries and two regional libraries for Haley organizing programming, anything in the north end of the county that gets put out by the library system, that's Haley. So you can thank her for all those. Um, it's no, it's it's a huge job. And that's what we've been trying to feature. We uh, last week we had Loria from the central cluster. We've got Haley now. We're going to have Sebastian next week to uh, highlight all three of the programmers to take care of all of these thousands of programs that the library puts on every year. So want to make sure everybody sees the behind the scenes people who are so important for us all too. And I've got a cool story to start us off. So this here is one of those really complicated or really easy stories, depending upon how you think about it. In for, um, to make lenses, it's pretty expensive and it's a lot of uh, work to do those. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why Hubble, the Hubble telescope was wrong because they misground the glass by a fraction of a millimeter. So these two guys, in Israel came up with a way of creating new lenses, and you can see some of the pictures here on these, um, that defy gravity. So that's and something I didn't, I didn't really understand. So how they do it now, but the, their intention is to, in the future, be able to do this up in microgravity, up in space. But right now, what they do is they basically take the circuit, the uh, uh, section of a tube, they fill it with an inert liquid, which means saline solution <laughs> to the common person, and they inject the special uh, gel that's going to create the the lens on top of that, and because it's an inert liquid, it holds it up against gravity. So it's like it's floating without any gravity. It's just kind of like a, 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 an example. You know about the Dead Sea. You know, it's got it's got such a high salt content that you would you float in it. You can't really you know go dive down in there. So it's that same kind of thing. They they figure it out. And one of the great great things about this, besides just this like this, you know, brilliant moment of oh wait hey if we got rid of the gravity we could make lenses really cheap. Even the stuff for these things is so incredibly cheap. And I mean, and that's one of the really big uh, things with this one is 
how many people out there in the world need some sort of corrective lenses, glasses, or anything like that. And even if you only make them for a couple dollars, that's way beyond what most people can do and what most countries can do. So, so is is the idea to make them in space, or you is could. it to simulate the you know create a container that can simulate that and then make them locally? Because it's right, yeah. It, it looks just like this right here, where you've got the cert the glass here that goes around. That's your petri dish kind of thing holding it, and you can see here's another picture right here that shows how it looks when the laser shoots through and hits that special fluid and it solidifies into the actual lens. That so you can quite... do this anywhere. Yeah, and I, I guess that's that's what I thought the, the whole point was of doing this um, because there's so many places in the world that don't have, um, you know, opticians and... Uh, yeah. Exactly. And that's one of the issues is yeah. the only thing you need is that polymer that they use to actually make the lenses, water and salt to do it, and whatever size mold you need for your lenses. So you can do that super, super cheap and just use UV lighting on it to make it happen. It's crazy how, how super, super cheap. Um, the lamp used was four bucks. Um, the polymer goes for $16 uh, on Amazon and you can get anywhere from 25 to 50 lenses out of one bottle. Wow. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. They, they reduce the price down to pennies instead of dollars and the, the anti-gravity thing, the space thing is because of telescopes and putting up, you know, we did the Hubble and we had that mistake. We've got the James Webb telescope going up right now. You know, it's going to go up by the end of the year, hopefully, maybe, maybe, or early January. And one of the big fears of that is it's got a big, huge mirror that's got to unfold. And if anything goes wrong while it's unfolding, then it mars the telescope. And now what do you do? How do you fix it? So... Is that the telescope that's going to see beyond? Yes. Yep. Beyond, beyond. Out there, out to the far distant past, into the distant parts of all the galaxies and universes. So is this um, is this like, so they're still testing this, right? It's not. It's not. Well, really they're making. They, they they've used it to do the actual lenses. They've made lenses with this. Now they're not at a mass production level yet. They can do it in the lab, you know, on a one-off basis, but they haven't made it where it's a full uh, manufacturing line. Okay. So, but it's it's just one of those, this is one of those small changes that in history that all of a sudden now everyone in the world will be able to afford corrective lenses instead of having to just do without. Well, I, I think I also understood from the article that it wasn't just a question of being able to afford it, but being able to get it to areas that don't mm -hmm. have facilities that can make glasses. Yeah. Getting so all, getting the glasses, that, getting getting the supplies to them and everything. I know it's crazy. You know, we take we take for granted our ability to, you know, access glasses here. Yeah. Um, I mean, most people that need them, they get tested when they're young. 
and you know they they get help but in a lot of the developing countries that's not an option yeah, yeah. over so half the population of the planet yeah yeah kids with you know eyesight problems they don't realize they have eyesight problems they just learn to live with that and adapt their behavior yep and, and we're going to be able to fix this hard at, at school because yeah. uh, i recently saw a documentary um about some rural uh, a rural school in in Africa in South Africa in particular, and you know some of the kids they didn't even realize that their problem was they couldn't see yeah properly I know it's um, crazy it's crazy we got another story for you here Miss Haley what did you have for dinner last week oh yes of course I'm going to remember. <laughs> um, this this was a, a very interesting story for me because obviously I I focus a lot on memory. Um, you know, in our in well, all of us in our jobs, we've got a lot to remember, and I've come up with this idea, sort of justification of why I can't remember, and it wasn't. It was kind of borderline of what the article says, and that is basically my brain is a, a filing room and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the older you get, the more memories and details you've had to store in that filing room. And when you have to recall it, it's not just a straight path. You have to go and sort through X number of years. You jump around that box and trip over that pile of papers and over it's there. It's probably yep. messy because it's mine. And oh, um, it's it's definitely so, messy for everybody. <laughs> but that's so, what yeah. one of the, the gist of this article is, is following up right on that. It's your brain does do that as its filing system just gets clogged up. And if it tried to remember everything perfectly, it would just max out there just wouldn't be any more room and so your brain actually forgets things on purpose because it knows you don't need that information because it understands the example they use in the article and as always all the links to all the articles will be on our on the page for you um that you know you know the example they use are cookies you know you don't have to remember exactly what kind of cookies they were you just have to remember oh i had cookies it was a good experience and that's all you all your brain actually remembers. The problem that I have with this, it's kind of the larger picture, in my opinion, is that, you know, if it's acknowledged that memory isn't actually reliable, uh -huh. detail, what, I mean, who, who yeah. do we believe? I mean, what is, what are we supposed to take from that because basically you know you don't know if someone's telling the truth or and what is truth i right. it opens up all these things for me um, uh -huh. you know where do we go from that there's nothing certain you know perhaps in the past right. we assume that memory could be accurate for example yeah. if if someone witnesses a crime um you know one person yeah, may actually not somebody see in the chat the just, just brought that up. Yeah. About eyewitness territory eyewitness and stuff like that. There yeah. is all witness testimony is and memory is all something that's always been subject to things, plus the idea of um how do you what what is important to remember for you? And I think for for where you're going with this, it's 
it's the group thing. It's, it, it's, that's what history is, is how the group understands what happened and how we interpret it. And that's just, you know, kind of where we stand. Well, I mean, when you say interpret, but it, it's essentially uh, a perspective. It's mm -hmm. a perspective and the perspective may not necessarily be accurate. Right. And in fact, now, if you think about it, this means that there is no accurate. No absolute truth. Yeah, there is. There isn't. There's yeah. no reliable or absolute record of anything. And, and nowadays, math. you can't eat. Well, in my opinion, math is interpretive. But anyway, because <laughs> I didn't understand it. But um, you can't you can't rely on anything. Yeah, well, you can, I mean, and I think that this, that's where these articles see, and this is why we have these conversations, because this is where these articles start getting into, you know, make us think about that. Think about what, where, what do you really want to remember? How will you record it? There's some really nice new holographic recording stuff about to happen where basically you can record everything that happened in a room and just store that like a memory. And then bring it back and replay it like when you want to, but that's a long way off from being available yeah. to everybody again. I mean, I started thinking about this whole concept of what is truth and what is real. Um, I think of my sister and I, you know, we had the same upbringing and yet when we talk about uh, common incidents in our youth, we both remember different things about it. Yeah. So the different and, pieces and, that were important for yeah. you versus important for her. Yeah. Those details. Yeah, it, it's, it's really quite fascinating. So there is like no one person that has the full picture. Exactly. We're all just operating on sort of, you know, bits and pieces yeah. and it's not necessarily the same bits and pieces. And also this made me think of the fact that the knowing this, should make us more tolerant of everyone around us because we would hope. we're not perfect. And, you know, you can't be absolutely certain about anything. Yeah. So, you know, it's good. Um, you just have to make I that good faith effort. Yeah, but you also have to realize that other people's input is mm -hmm. valuable. Yeah, because yeah. they can fill in the bits that you don't necessarily remember. Or that's think an about. interesting segue to our next one there, because that's exactly one of the things. This other story that we have today is all about doing therapy, um, using gaming as therapy. And uh, here's here's an art, uh, one that you can listen to that uh, uh, Cardano, uh, Jose Cardana. Um, he is uh, a person who's, I'll show you the website where I found him from to lead me back to these things. And it's how you can actually accomplish reaching someone, uh, getting someone to agree to things, in, and in this case, doing therapy and working with them to understand their side of things, to understand what they're thinking, how they're feeling, and help people work through some of those issues. And in this case, it's using video games as a method of doing that. I mean, this is something that's been in the news for a little while. Um, this is another story from earlier in October. Same idea, same thing with all the um, stuff and how using the various 
gaming platforms and things work for you. I found this this interesting, but this is one of those uh, sort of modern issues that I, I'm not quite sure where I stand on it because some of the uh, some of the problems with uh, using uh, gaming video gaming as therapy is, you know, that it's done in the right manner. Yes, and it doesn't open up the patient to becoming addicted to online gaming, and that is a yeah. real. Problem. And that's what that one article talked about with with addiction. Yeah. I, kind of stuff. A couple of years ago, I was approached by someone that wanted to start an online uh, uh, gaming addiction uh, support group. And at that point, there were very, very few places in this country that or organizations that, you know, addressed the issue. Um, whereas in China, I believe they have mandatory, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of restrictions. Yep. Anyway, I, I did a quick search uh, after reading that article and I was uh, amazed to see that now you've just got pages and pages of organizations um, committed to video gaming addictions. Yeah. And I, I think, think one of the important things with this too is, is I think where we're about to go with this is which games are you using and how are you using them? Yeah, I know there are a lot of um, advantages to using um, sort of like AI and maybe video games too for uh, people with PTSD uh, mm -hmm. that come out of the military. And I think that's great idea, but I, I, I'm kind of a little bit uh, I feel anxious about the fact that if, you know, people use these indiscriminately, uh, it could lead to uh, worse things than they're trying yeah. to do. And that's, that's the page that I have up here for everybody. It's letsplaytherapy.org. Um, and uh, they, they highlight the four games here, Animal Crossing, Minecraft, Roblox, and Fortnite, specifically for that reason. So that they're interactive, you have to, they're cooperative. You don't just get to do something, you're not isolating yourself inside the video game, just like you would isolate yourself in the outside world or anything. And uh, here's some free lessons, free ideas for parents or anyone to um, take a look at and see what they like about this. And then this company, obviously has whole packages of things that you can use to work with uh, to try and uh, work through issues using video games or reach a better understanding of people. And, you know, they talk a lot about parents and, and kids, teens and tweens uh, working together like this on these things. Yeah, it's uh, it's all very interesting, but like so many of uh, the issues that we have today, um, who knows where it's going to go and how it's going to be abused? Well, we hope it's not going to be abused. Let's 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 be positive on that one. It's not going to be abused if people, if people are following, you know, just just like anything, follow your doctor's directions and follow the follow the prescription as as prescribed, and everybody is going to be just fine. And we just have to hope everybody stays on label. To, to use that term. Okay. Well, I guess that's your memory of it. Your yeah. Interpretation. My, and thank, yeah. thank goodness we've got um, people um, with those uh, 
that attitude, Bob. I'm trying to be positive for you. We're going to try and make this work for people. Think we the time just flew on by today. Thank you so much, yes, Miss Haley. This is a lot of fun conversations. What's going on up there at North Regional and Northwest Regional? What do you got going so on? We've got, we've got a lot of uh, interesting things. Um, I'll tell you about. Uh, we have some. We're still doing a lot of online programming. Slowly starting up with in-person story time and in-person book discussions, um, which you can check out on our online calendar. Um, but we've got um, on January 14th, we've got a caregivers support workshop, caregivers of patients with dementia. And this is a great course. It's it's six sessions. Um, nice. We've also got a, a series of five sessions of learning Raja yoga meditation. And that starts uh, in uh, January on January 8th. And those are uh, in person or online? Um, the those are online. The first two are online. Uh, well, this one's online too. Uh, January twenty seventh, we've got a um, uh, infinite memory, time, and mutability in speculative fiction. It's oh, a panel. See, of you're right in our target science, range, right there. Uh, uh, a panel of science fiction authors, and they will be discussing. Um, time and mutability in speculative fiction. So that's uh, January 27th from 5.30 to 6.30, and you can register online. And then Robert.org slash library slash events. Come yep. on in. Lastly, I have to put a plug in for our Saturday, February 26th, Tell Your Story event. Oh, that's going to be fun. And that's yeah. a day of uh, workshops panel discussions for writers and anyone that's interested in uh, improving their writing skills uh, to get published. Yeah, it's, so, it's it I saw the lineup for that one. That looks like a really great program. It'll be a lot yeah. of fun to go see that one. And th that's online. Actually, all of these I've picked are online, but we do have a lot of our regular programs. Yeah. Like story yeah, time. Like, you, like I said, all the story times are coming back in January. Most of them are wrapping up right now, I think, right? For the holidays. Yeah. But yeah, then they all come back January, the first week of January again. So. Yep. Yep. It's going to be uh, fun. Absolutely. Let me throw up our final slide here for people. Thank you again, Miss Haley, for being here. Um, Thank as you. always, if you want to see your favorite librarian or library featured, creation station at Broward.org. We'll see everybody next week. Stay safe. Bye.